Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on the Augsburg Confession, looking at Article 22. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota. Register today for the Summer Institute of Theology, which happens August 1st through the 5th. Classes include training in adult catechesis, congregational leadership, and Christian ethics. Find out more at flbc.edu forward slash s-i-t. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. My name is Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. I'm alive, and I'm, I'm with you. The Prodigal Podcaster yeah. is back. Welcome right. back. Thank you. Thank you, and, and thanks for recording without me, I think. That's uh, what the fans said, too. Yeah, yes. right, exactly. <laughs> All the letters. Yes. Yeah, thank you to Dr. Molstry. It was fun to listen to him uh, with you guys, and so we're, we're back to kind of our normal schedule here. Yeah, you had a busy April, huh? It did, yeah, and... and uh, Boy, I think if I would have recorded that day, I might have had like a heart attack just with everything <laughs> I was trying to do and accomplish. So I appreciate you guys um, doing that and uh, good to refreshed and ready to get back at everything, including this and, and everything else that in all of my vocations. Look at that. Yeah, right away. I, I, yeah, right, just, just mixing it in. It's got to be yeah. some kind of a record. It's like we'd open the recording with vocation, but Brett jumped in right after that. <laughs> it's so. been two weeks and he had yeah. to, he's been waiting to say that. Right. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Thank you. All right. So we're we're jumping back into, after you said the two episodes with James Molstry interviewing on seminary education and whatnot, we're back into the Augsburg Confession. Again, the last seven articles of the Augsburg Confession are, are disputed articles. They're articles of practice. And so there's going to be a little bit different emphasis on things. Uh, and, and on the surface, uh, it looks like this article, Article 22, doesn't look like there's much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, it's a really simple, straightforward topic once you understand what's being spoken about. Yeah. Two, the Roman Catholic argument is really, really bad. I mean, it's this is one of the things, what, a couple articles ago we talked about, we brought up the confutation again by way of, of recall, and and like not even earnest Roman Catholic theologians will claim the confutation. It was just that bad. If you really want the Roman Catholic response to the Augsburg Confession, dig into the Council of Trent. That's where you're going to find more of the official Catholic dogmatics. But it is what it is. The, the Roman confutation was the very first Catholic response to Lutheran theology. We, we use it because it explains why the apology says what it says. I think we're going to find more to mine in here as far as principles for mm-hmm. the modern American church than people realize. There's a couple big topics we need to get into. Right. And that's okay, too. When, whenever, I mean, in our conversations with people, sometimes they'll bring up something that seems like a real quick thing to deal with. But like you said, there's maybe underlying principles to talk about, and, and it gives us an opportunity to do that. So um, I guess with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and read Article 22 of the Augsburg Confession, uh, both kinds in the sacrament, and then we can launch into our conversation from there. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So it says this. Uh, Among us, both kinds are given to laymen in the sacrament, 
The reason is that there is a clear command and order of Christ, drink of it all of you, Matthew 26, 27. Concerning the chalice, Christ here commands with clear words that all should drink of it, in order that no one might question these words and interpret them as if they apply only to priests. Paul shows in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20 and following, that the whole assembly of the congregation in Corinth received both kinds. This usage continued in the church for a long time, as can be demonstrated from history and from writings of the fathers. In several places, Cyprian mentions that the cup was given to laymen in his time. St. Jerome also states that the priests who administered the sacrament distributed the blood of Christ to the people. Pope Galatius himself ordered that the sacrament was not uh, to be divided. Not a single canon can be found which requires a reception of only one kind. Nobody knows when or through whom this custom of receiving only one kind was introduced, although Cardinal Kazanis, I think is how you say it, Kusanis? Just yeah. roll with it. Just roll with Hold it. it. Right. Yeah, the, whatever that cardinal's name was. It mentions when uh, the Bob use was Gibson. approved. Bob Gibson. Oh, <laughs> different kind of cardinal. Okay. All right. It is evident that such a custom introduced contrary to God's command and also contrary to the ancient canons is unjust. Accordingly, it is not proper to burden the consciences of those who desire to observe the sacrament according to Christ's institution or to compel them to act contrary to the arrangement of our Lord Christ. Because of the division... Uh, of the sacrament is contrary to the institution of Christ. The customary carrying out of the sacrament in processions is also omitted by us. And that's the end of uh, Article 22. Amen. Amen. You know, I, one one thing I noticed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not God's word, but um, you can yay, still say yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah, it shall be a, so. Amen. Verily, verily, truly, truly. Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed uh, towards the end of reading that is, uh, e- even in this issue that maybe doesn't seem quite as big of an issue for us today, is they're talking about uh, not burdening consciences yeah. in that. That's that's the exact phrase that jumped out to yeah. me, is not burdening consciences, which again, if you follow the structure of the Augsburg Confession, and if you follow the structure of Lutheran theology, everything comes back to justification Everything comes back to the assurance of salvation, and and none of the theology we do is ever just done because it. The, there's there's never anything that's purely ap- academic for the sake of being academic. There, there's nothing any not anything that's done purely uh, ritual for the sake of ritual. Uh, I'm actually going through a lesson in my congregation right now on burial and cremation, mm, and yeah. looking at pros and cons and stuff. And in the principle of that lesson is is what I learned from. One one of my profs in the doctor ministry program that he said to us was everything you do confesses something. And so that it's, it's a different way to look at things that are adiaphora or, or things like, not that this is necessarily adiaphora, but to realize everything we do confesses something. And in that confession, we are concerned about others' consciences. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. So Adam, what are we, what are we talking about here with both kinds? What's, what's this, you know, if you were to unpack that, where we where we going with this uh, with this topic? Yeah. So I, what did I say, Jason, when we talked earlier today? I say I, I said it wrong when we were talking both types. about both types, oh, both types. Okay. Well, and and that ultimately, you know, if we don't use type like the New Testament use of the word type, like, type like and anti typology, yes, yeah. type yeah. antitype. No, but just two kinds <clears throat> yeah. of the sacrament, the bread and the wine, right? And and it's interesting to me that that was even a controversy. As you read scripture, it seems very clear to me, you know, and, G- and, and that's the Lutheran argument here in, in, the, uh, in the article is Jesus said it this way. 
Why would we, bur- why, you know, we read this, somebody wants it. Why would we burden consciences otherwise, having both the bread and the wine? Uh, interesting to me is looking a little bit into the history of this controversy. And you talked about going back to the Council of Trent. Uh, there's the doctor, the Catholic doctrine of uh, what's it called? Uh, is it concomitance or concomitance? It's like concupiscence. <laughs> Don't know. I'm or, not going to say uh, that word yes, on air con, anymore. Yeah. You're going to trap so him in I'm this original sure. sin. Concomitance <laughs> or concomitance. Uh, the idea that... A cormorant? The, I, and the argument is, well, <laughs> since, as I understand it, yeah. are you talking about the bird over here? <laughs> yeah. I'm right in the middle of a theological yeah. discourse and you threw me up. No. Pro- proceed. Okay. What were we talking about? Oh, yes. So the Catholics... <laughs> In the the Council of Trent really developed this idea that, okay, so in both the bread and the wine, separately, Jesus's full presence is really there. Hmm. And that really is all Jesus. This is all Jesus on the other side. Therefore, you only really need to, get, to have one to get all Jesus, and it's easy to spill wine. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to spill Jesus. Not to mention that there's crumbs from literally every piece of bread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except for those tiny wafers well, now. Yeah. I, I mean, don't think... It's a one-bite thing five hundred. Yeah, I don't think 500 years ago they were serving styrofoam wafers. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> when did that come into... That, that's what we should... We should write an yeah, article. Right after uh, Welch's grape juice was oh, invented. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of those are going to be hashtag not going to go there. Uh, okay. So... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Wow. We're, we're off the rails yeah. here. Yeah. All the way. Welcome back, yeah, Brett. Yes, Thanks for yeah. asking me, Brett, about yeah. the two kinds. Well, I wasn't going to go yeah. there. Okay, I have to say one thing. So ever since COVID, <laughs> this has nothing to do with the whole wine, grape juice yeah. debate. This is just simply practice, right? This is an article of practice. Our current, at, at my church, and I know a lot of different churches, there are ways of packaging individual Yep. Communion kits the, and sets. We've and been calling them rip and sips. Yeah, it rip. Really? <laughs> I <laughs> informally I uh, struggle yeah, with, and I realized that that. <laughs> this is worse than what I was going to say. I apologize, to everyone who's made yeah, it so this right, far. Rip right. and sips. Yeah. Okay. Every time that we are in communion. They talk about removing first the cellophane wrapper on the top. Anytime the word cellophane is brought into the sacramental <laughs> gift, I feel Something's like they're... Something's gone awry. Yes, this yeah. is not how it's supposed to right. be. I don't care about bread or you know wine or... Uh, you know, I don't care if I... you know Just don't tell me cellophane yeah. in the middle of well, the... I, of all people, I'm going to be the one to try to redeem the last five minutes of this podcast by bringing it all together. With a 90s pop reference. No, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tempt me on that. I'd probably go to the 80s on this just because of new age. That's a tall charge. Yeah. Uh, The whole point of the Lutheran response to what the Roman Catholics are doing is to not play it fast and loose with the sacraments. And and that's really everything. Uh, COVID is the perfect illustration for why this applies to modern times in the church. And almost no one you, you would find arguing only bread or only wine, right? Right. But but you look at what happened to the distribution of the sacrament during the age of COVID, and I mean, you have an entire theological fight about online communion yeah. where the pastor blesses the elements through the magic of the internet, uh, and then people receive it at home. You have the rip and sip, I guess. <laughs> I, You're welcome. I uh, I desperately want like Lifeway Christian House to to just brand that <laughs> <laughs> the rip and. I, 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 but anyway, it's yeah. Uh, 
not having a robust theology of the sacraments yep. and a robust doctrine of the incarnation is how we get into these problems in the first place. And, and this is if, you know, Adam, you weren't on the show yet. Uh, but Brett, if you go all the way back to when we were doing uh, the sacraments mm-hmm. in the catechism, the glory days, the glory days, <laughs> uh, the heyday of the Being Lutheran podcast, uh, uh, the Wild West, uh, Part of the the teaching of the doctrine of baptism is that it's a regenerative means of grace that is salvific. That's our confession. But there is a ceremonial value to baptism, which is why we encourage it to happen in a worship service. You know, like if someone comes from outside the congregation, wants to baptize, you, you can do a private baptism if you must. But the benefit there is for the whole church to participate. What, what the church is missing today in its confession of bad theology on the sacrament is the communal aspect of what we're doing. That, that serving it to individuals, you know, and, and I heard all sorts of equivocations during COVID about, well, I mean, before COVID, you were serving it to individuals in nursing homes and hospital rooms and on deathbeds. But, but the difference between what was going on in COVID and what's going on in those visitation circumstances is you are serving it in a visitation uh, setting as an extension of the congregation that is meeting. Uh, during the time of COVID, you had to wrestle with, you're serving this instead of the congregation meeting. And it changes the entire confession of what's going on, which is what the Roman Catholics were doing during the Reformation, is they were changing the nature of the sacrament into something it wasn't intended to be. Hmm. Do you know the why on that? Uh, I, I have a suspicion. Historically, I don't know that I have the answer, but that's the, the second big topic I want to tackle in our conversation is this goes back to the celebrity pastor argument and, and what the Roman Catholics were doing from a Lutheran assessment. I don't know the historical flow of getting from Pope Gregory, the, the first Pope who wasn't the first Pope Peter, uh, from Pope Gregory, who wanted both kinds in the sacraments to be served to getting to where Luther was with Pope Leo in the Reformation. Before you go any further, I I wanted to mention that when I first thought of this this idea, it, it almost seemed like they were separating like super Christians from, yep. uh, and maybe if, if there's part of that involved in this. Well, that, that's yeah. exactly where I'm going. So if you look at the Roman confutation, uh, their concern, uh, the Roman Catholics say their concern is not confusing the laity with the priesthood. And so from a baseline assessment from the Lutherans toward the Catholics, where we're taking their words and we're assessing the motivation behind it, it's preserving the prestige of the ministry. And that's what gets you, that's what gets that snowball rolling down the hill to start the avalanche of the celebrity pastor. And and again, uh, all celebrity pastors in the generic American church are patterned after the Pope. And it's always a matter of prestige. It's, it's always a matter of this guy or this individual is someone more special than your average ordinary Christian. Now, the Lutheran response to that is that the, the distinction between laity and clergy is one of office, not of one of individual. And so that a man is called into the office of the ministry, it changes nothing about his status as a Christian, it changes his vocation. 
Yeah, I find I find the lack of definitive history on this interesting, and it's even referenced in the article, right? And I, I, the comment on nobody knows how or when oh, this started yes, or something yeah, like that. Right. Um, the the history that I've read, it, it was a practice at least in like the 1200s. And then the, the concomitance argument came about in the Council of Trent, which was significantly later, you know, several hundred years later. And so the nature of, uh, you know, having a practice and then having to church it up later is ne- never a good thing in and of itself, right? Sure. We're, we've practiced this. Now we've got to have some theological reason to defend it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah. I think, is there another, you, you argue the celebrity pastor side of things. And I'm wondering, was there in, in the best construction, right? In this, was it possible? <laughs> Cause I don't think the celebrity pastor necessarily was the best construction, but no, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> and, but the alternative to that would be something like, were they afraid of the, like I mentioned before, the laity spilling the wine and therefore uh, desecrating the sacrament. And is that something that was more, um, you know, concerning? But then you think back to some of the history in that and people would would hide the wafer or they, if you put there is a history and this is kind of an interesting thing back when I was in, in Pennsylvania as a pastor, we used to actually serve communion, the wafer itself or the bread, we would put it on the tongue of the parishioners and that most people in our church denomination would find that to be very strange out there. It was the practice. It was very normal. Nobody thought of it. And as I understand, it went back to the practice that the people would take it in their hands and then they would pocket it to kind of have a talisman of Jesus around the house, you know, so they would keep the bread. And so the, the priest wanted to make sure it actually went in. And, and I'm wondering if there isn't some, you know, concern with the element itself, that there's going to be some desecration of the body of Jesus. I, I think you can go there, except for the fact that we know the Roman Catholic Church of Luther's day, and I'm not up on Roman Catholic practices now, were worshiping the elements. Right. And so if they're worried about the people turning the elements into a talisman, well, guess what the Roman Catholic Church did? They turned it into a talisman. So uh, I think if you roll back, you can kind of envision scenarios where this developed. I, I think a big issue, if you're going to screw something up in the church, <laughs> the best time to do it is in the dark ages, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, got, you got about 800 years where anything could possibly happen. And, and one of the things for the church to take note of is when the people aren't educated and when the people aren't catechized, you can get away with anything, Now, drop that again into my whipping boy, the generic American church. What do we see as the standard for the people in the pews? We can talk about education, and I'm not talking about they don't have college degrees or this, that, or the other thing. They're not educated about theology. They're not educated about why we do things in the church, and that means they're not catechized. And as soon as the laity is uncatechized, you can do anything you want with doctrine and practice and get away with it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, and we see that a lot uh, around us, uh, not just on the more national stages, but uh, even, you know, lower, uh, smaller groups and and whatnot, do that sort of thing. I would offer that as a definitive statement describing any situation, whether it's the, you know, again, popular American Christianity or just the rural backwoods church who's had the same pastor for 60 years, who's, who's molded the church after his own image. If you keep the people uninformed and ignorant, you can get away with anything as long as it sounds churchly. 
Uh, you know, like like you said, we can envision a scenario where you know they might have been afraid of spilling the wine or of seems turning so, such a weak argument. Well, turning yeah. the elements into a talisman. But again, we have practical like. There's, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but it was said when Luther one time was serving communion in his church, uh, someone spilled the wine and everyone looked to see what Luther would do about it. And he got down on his hands and knees and he lapped it up off the floor. He sucked it up off the floor like when a kid spills milk on the table kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to be crass with that, just to give a better image. That story's out there. So we know what pious people were willing to do to make sure that the elements of communion communion remained sacred. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these circumstances that the, the Roman Catholics are bringing forward uh, in the confutation only end up amounting to special pleading, that there's, it's a logical fallacy. They're bad arguments. I find it interesting, that concern about the elements, and we got to be careful to distinguish the concern for the elements uh, as a talisman kind of thing versus a reverence of practice kind of thing. One of the things also that that I had in in Pennsylvania as a pastor was the uh, practice of um, any of the bread that had been to the altar and had been prayed over the Lord's prayer had been prayed over it. And the, you know, the, the words of institution had been said, they would have to stay. They could not go back into, for instance, any sort of storage container to you know, be used for a later time. Uh, same thing was true of the wine. And one of the things that they would do, would they would pour the wine out on the ground, which I know is standard practice today among many churches, Lutheran, Catholic, and a variety. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, though, in that was a statement, and I don't know if this applies, it just something you know tripped in my brain when you were talking about that. We have a, a professor that we had in seminary, and I remember him saying, what makes us think that our sinful bowels are any better a receptacle for the body or blood of our Lord Jesus Christ than the ground on which we pour it or into this, uh, not, not the ground, sorry, or the sink into which we pour it, you know, into the septic system. And he goes, at what point do we think our sinful bowels are better? And I say it just like he said, bowels. <laughs> um, the, you just gave away. I who gave away yeah. who it is for some of our listeners. <laughs> Inside baseball uh, right there. He, yeah, right. The nature of, of that argument is, is so true. And I think the reverence piece is there, and it certainly can be done. It can be disposed yeah. of in the ground. It can be disposed of. The priest can, or the pastor can finish it. Or, you know, I think, you know, God in, in all things in right order, good, sure. good order, right? I think that's a big process well, or a big uh, aspect that we need to focus on too. And I think where we want to leave it now, kind of a place to hang the discussion on a pin until next week is uh, reverence without catechesis is superstition. And that's it. That's good. That, that, I mean, there's a good thing to be reverent. You know, one of the things I always tell my congregation, again, in the AFLC, we're a traditionally low church body, uh, is we want everything that happens during the service to be familiar so that people are comfortable with it without being common. 
But even that, we have to educate. We have to, to catechize with that. If all we want is the formality and the pageantry and, and, and that sort of thing, there, that's a very fine line between that and superstition. If, if there is a theological, a doctrinal, a scriptural reason for doing something, we want to embrace it and use it to teach the gospel. That's exactly what Luther was doing. And that was his plan to stop the that's too Catholic objection, right? But, but I think we need to remind ourselves that, again, uh, reverence without catechesis is superstition. Yep, very good. Well, maybe that's a good place to wrap up this episode. So thanks for listening, and uh, tune in next time to our part two of, of this discussion. All right. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please tune in next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on the Augsburg Confession on Article 22. God bless you and have a great week.